Welcome to Sunday Morning at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. I want to talk to you this day today about being a follower of Jesus. And this is what Jesus actually says. He says, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And I, and I like that you, you can't be two places in once in life. It's either you're following Jesus or you're not. And he continues, and, he says, and the Father will honor anyone, anyone who serves me. So it's interesting in this context of society today, we are imposed upon with this idea of build your following. When Jesus says, don't be worrying about your following, worrying about being a follower. And then on the other side, it says, don't worry about being the main character of your story. Worry about being the servant in your story. Today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5 this morning about Jesus' calling of the first disciples. And we continue our series called Tuned In, looking at the teachings of Jesus. I want to encourage you to evaluate as we comb through our text this morning, how well are you following Jesus? Let's pray this morning. If you'll bow your heads with me. God, we give you this time. Lord, I pray for those in this place who are listening, who are waiting, who are eager to hear what you have for them. I pray that you move in their lives, that they leave here better than the way we came in. And may we be great followers of you. In your great and holy name, we all say, amen. Throughout the course of my next several messages that you'll hear me say, I'll use this term, love Jesus, be different. If we love Jesus, if we have Jesus, if we've been given Jesus and accepted his love so much, we can't help but be different. We can't help but impact our workplace. We can't help impact our, our friends and our relationships. We can't help but be different. I grew up in church for some time uh, since I was this little, that little, I've been at church. And I remember there's this almost romance about this, the Acts church, the very first church that we know, the, the first gathering. There's this romance with gentlemen who, when we see Peter and Paul, and they speak with great boldness. We see healing. We see people even being struck dead in the book of Acts because they lied over the offering. We see this magnificent just story and move. And if we're not careful, a lot of times when we read the book of Acts, we can look back at it and say, those were the good old days of the church. Man, if, if only church was what it was 30 years ago. If only church was what it was 10 years ago. Man, if church could just be how it was in 2019, before COVID, things would be okay. But if we're not careful, we can romanticize this ideal or the former glory of church. Let me put it this way for you. Historians actually say there is only 7,500 believers worldwide at the end of the first century. Now, let's put this in context. There is approximately, they estimate, 150 million to 300 million people worldwide. The city of Rome, it only had four to five million people. So 7,500 followers of Jesus were alive and present at the end of the first century. 
If you fast forward a couple hundred, or if you fast forward a hundred more years, the, this uh, Christian scholar by the name of Origen, he, he described Christianity as this. He says, it is a scattered group geographically of believers, but in size, nothing of significance. Meaning that it had long geographical reaches, but there wasn't anything to account for. So when it comes to 200 years after Jesus, we see this understanding and this look that there wasn't actually that many people. But then you fast forward 100 more years after Origen made that declaration. In 312 AD, we see Emperor Constantine joining and becoming a quote-unquote Christian for political reasons. See, so... The question we have to ask ourselves is how does a group of 7,500 believers, followers, a couple hundred years later, turn into a political force where over half the Roman Empire was now Christian? Mesmerizing. Think about it. There's no social media. There's no TV. There's no newspaper. There's no phones. There's no text messaging. The reason 7,500 followers and believers later impacted a Roman civilization in a way like we've never seen is because people understood what it meant to be a follower. Today, that's what I want to talk to you about, where we love Jesus, where we're different, and where we follow. Do you remember that riddle when you're in middle school? Uh, Would you rather have $10,000 a day for the next 30 days? Or would you rather have your money double for the next 30 days, starting with the one penny? If you're like me, you probably signed up and you said, give me that $10,000 a day for 30 days. That's $300,000, man. That's going to be a great time. I can buy a new outfit. I can buy some nice shoes. I can even buy my, my, my pony or my four-wheeler. But then if you look at this, if you double your money, if you multiply your money, that one cent at the end of 30 days becomes over $10 million. See, the power of multiplication we see, the power of following Jesus comes alive. See, what if every church in America multiplied itself? What if every believer multiplied themselves? What if we, rather than settling for what is easy gratification, we said, what can we do to win someone for the Lord, help them follow the Lord, and experience the impact that Jesus can have? Think about it here at Faith. When we see our our church, the days are great right now, but they're going to be even greater in the future. I believe that God's going to do some amazing things. When we look back where our children's children are going to say, these were the good old days, not in the book of Acts, but now. We want to be followers of Jesus. So we're going to go on this journey in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus calls these first disciples. And this is what takes place. These men forever mission of life will be changed. So if you have your notes, join me. Luke 5 verse 1. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Great crowds pressed in on him to, the, to, to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Now imagine this. Let's put this in context. Whenever Jesus approaches these, 
these men, he goes to their boats, they're over off to the side, they're washing their nets. Oftentimes, I, I think there's little details in Scripture that we have to be so attentive to. These men, they've been out all day, they're tired, they're cleaning up. I'm a novice when it comes to fishing. In fact, I barely know how to cast my rod. Some of you might be judging me being in North Fort Myers, but hey, I'm just being honest with you. But I do know this, whenever I go on that leisurely ride on the boat, I'm tired at the end of the day, let alone if I'm fishing for a life-giving or a life uh, vocation. And so when he comes and approaches them, they're, they're tired, they're weary. Jesus is moving in our lives when we're tired, when we're weary, when we're least expecting it. We have to be ready. So then Jesus stepping into the boat, one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now there's two main reasons. First, at this time, Jesus' authoritative teaching was going throughout the whole region of Galilee. People are flooding and they want to hear. They want to get the autograph. They want to get the touch. They want to be healed. But then Jesus also got on the boat because whenever he spoke, words would travel clearly across the lake that people could listen to well. And then when, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets and catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down my nets again. Now can you imagine being Peter? Jesus, this man who is authoritative, this man who uh, is a, a great, at times people refer to him as rabbi. But really they know Jesus' story a little bit and isn't this a carpenter? Now I don't know about you, but whenever someone who isn't a professional at this certain task or involved or know much about what I do and they try to come in and tell me what to do, I get a little like, I take a step back and say, I don't know if that's the thing. I don't know if I'm going to listen. Just as a carpenter, and yet he's coming to tell expert fishermen what to do. I mean, that can be frustrating, right? When we think that, when we acknowledge that. But yet, Peter puts out, and he listens. There's this pause. There's this moment of, all right, if you say so, Jesus, out of the, in front of the masses and in front of these people, I will do what you're telling me to do. And in verse 6, and this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man, for he was awestruck. Turn to your neighbor and say, Awestruck. By the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John and sons of the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And then Jesus replied, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Today, I want to talk to you about this idea of following Jesus and give you three qualities needed to be a follower of Jesus. The first one is this. We need to let our awe 
of Jesus be larger than our awe of life. We need to let our awe of Jesus be louder than our awe of life. I think some of us, we get more excited watching our teams win on Sunday than we do praising Jesus. I think some of us, we get a little more louder on political posts than what we should be doing in reading our word and posting about what Jesus can do in our life. I mean, I love it, man. People keep sharing their stuff. I'm like, that's good. Hey, hit me with a verse next week, right? You know, like, let's, let's spread that. When our all of Jesus is louder, is more lively than our all of life, that is when life change and we become a follower happens. See, Peter has this weird reaction with Jesus in verse 5 and, or verse, chapter 5, verse 8. He says this, when Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. He was awestruck. See, what an odd reaction. What an interesting reaction. Peter is getting the whole of his lifetime. His business is going to be radically changed for the foreseeable future. Things are happening. Things are moving. But yet he falls on his knees because of Jesus' power. And he says, get away from me. See, when we're ever in the presence of greatness, we're in this limbo state. Do we pull in or do we push away? Do we pull in or do we push away? Do I pull into Jesus or do I push away to Jesus? Greatness does some interesting things to us. I don't know if you've ever been around someone of some kind of celebrity profile or maybe someone you've really revered or looked up to. I remember when I lived in Los Angeles for a short time, I was walking into a University of Southern California basketball game. At this time, they ranked in the top 10, and it was pretty cool. And, you know, if you've ever been around a convention or a place where there's a mass amount of crowds, people are flooding into the sports venue and sports event. And so I look over and I'm walking and it just so happened the night before I watched the Lakers game. And I look over to my left and there's this guy over seven feet tall and I'm like, man, that's a, that's a pretty big guy. And I look over and I'm like, I think that's JaVale McGee at the time the starting center for the Los Angeles Lakers. He had a hood on and he's trying to blend in and I'm like, man, that's why you play basketball, bro. Because you're not blending in, you're seven foot tall. You know, and he's like walking and, and I'm like, do I go say something? Do I go get the selfie? Do I say, hey, here's the Lakers. I mean, he missed a lot of layups the night before. Like, he was like two for seven or two for nine from like three foot with a range. That's my basketball talk going. And I'm like, do, do I stay? Do I go? Do I listen? Do, do, I, do I get around? Have you ever been there in the presence of greatness? You don't know what to do. You, you, you want to draw close, but you also want to push away. See, whenever Jesus moves in individuals' lives, he highlights his power, his greatness. Look at the Apostle Paul, whatever, he has his conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. A bright light overwhelmed him, and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He goes blind for three days. A radical experience. When Jesus is called to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, Isaiah sees the throne room of God and says, woe is me. See, there's moments when we have to take a step back and look at the power of Jesus in our life. That's why we gave you today, hey, what's God doing in your life? 
A lot of times we, we have our relationship with God and we just want to say, hey, I'm petitioning for this. God, I need this. I need this. But we need to take a step back and say, Jesus, I'm awestruck. Jesus, I'm awestruck. That's why I encourage you, evaluate your life. Look at what's going on. Fill out a praise report. Maybe it's someone came to church today that you didn't even expect. See, what's interesting is Peter in his first reaction has this push away mentality. But see, whenever we let our all of Jesus be larger than our all of life, we're obedient. You notice Peter being in that pause, being in that moment, he didn't really necessarily want to do what Jesus told him to do. But he understood there's a greatness, there was a power to Jesus. So he did it. When your all of Jesus is larger than your all of life, you aren't worried about what you miss out on. You aren't worried about what is going to happen tomorrow. You aren't worried about being the person who fits in, part of the social venues, part of the person, hey, do you, you're not worried because you're saying Jesus is the leader of my life. See, then we have this very similar experience in John 21. Same problem. Peter and crew, they're out fishing. They, they aren't catching. They're not having much luck. And sure enough, they see this figure standing on the shore. Now, some scholars would argue that this is the same account, but there's too many different variables that are happening here. And the guy from the shore, they don't really recognize him. And he says, hey, put out deeper and cast your nets again. They're like, here you go again. I love the little detail in John chapter 21. It says they caught at this time 153 large fish. So this is what happens in verse 7. It says, Then the disciples, Jesus, then the disciple Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, and he for he was stripped for work. I'm glad I don't have to do that when I work jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. So the first account in Luke chapter 5, he pushes Jesus away. In the second account in John 21, he jumps, he runs, he leaps into the water. You read later on in the scripture, and they came and they followed. But Peter understood. But here is the scene that Peter is in. See, at this point, this is after Jesus' re resurrection. The first when the power of Jesus was displayed, was before the cross. In John 21, it was after the cross. See, three times, or two times previously to this passage in verse 7, they see Jesus, the disciples see Jesus. Peter's sitting there, he's like, Jesus, we haven't encountered, we, we haven't discussed the elephant in the room. See, at this moment, Peter already denied Jesus three times. He made his grievous mistake. He messed up. So he sees Jesus on the shore. Jesus gives him instruction, and he jumps in. See, the, the, the power of Jesus gives us a glimpse of who he is and what he can do in our life. But it's the compassion and the love he has and the grace and the mercy for us that hooks our hearts. See, Peter was mesmerized by the miracle in Luke 5. But what gripped his heart and made him to be this figure in the Acts, the first church, 
was that he made his biggest mistake, but yet Jesus came calling to him. You might be in here right now struggling with something, saying there's no redemption, there's nothing I can do, I can't get past certain things. See, what makes Jesus, when we say give me Jesus, is knowing that his blood covers a multitude of any wrongdoings that we have. That doesn't matter what mistake you've made, he is there for you. He wants to hear you. That's what Peter is drawing and saying that I'm a follower because I'm so in awe that the mistake I've made, yet Jesus is still telling me what to do. Jesus is still showing up on the shore. Some of you need to listen to that and hear that. There's nothing you can do that can escape Jesus. So when we talk about being a follower, we have to have an awe of Jesus larger than an awe of life. Number two is this. We need to hold a commitment to follow Jesus and find others. Follow Jesus and find others. Part of following Jesus means we pursue people. Um, In my house, we're pretty competitive, so much so that my wife and I actually have to, before we sit down and play a game, have to map out the context and the rules and the guidelines of, hey, if we're going to begin to act like this, then we have to step away. Like, seriously, that's how competitive we are. So that even trickles down to my sons. And uh, what's interesting, uh, I've been meeting some people in the lobby uh, these past couple months, and I walk in and I say, hey, how'd you hear about us? I love hearing how people hear about us. Is it social media engagement? Is it website? Is it anything we're doing online? Is it, were you invited? And this is an awesome invitation church where you're inviting people to church. I see it on our Facebook group, like it's totally cool. It's totally awesome. Hey, I invited my friend. That's great. And so when I'm looking and I meet with people in the lobby, I ask, how do you hear about us? And there's been a couple of responses that I've received, and some have been like, uh, one of my child, uh, my child was invited. So we decided to check it out. We're kind of new to the area, or we're looking for our church home. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm like, what school do they attend? They said Faith Academy. I'm like, whoo, that's the best school. Let's go, Faith Academy. What's up, Miss Wendy? I see you. You know, she works over there. She's great. And so when we're at Faith Academy, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Maybe I'll recognize some kids, some kids who might have invited your children. My kids attend there. So I'll go, I'll go check it out. So I'm like looking as I'm snooping through. I'm like, I work across the street. So I'm like, hey, what kid invited these families? Like, they're like going to get a golden star from me. Finally, I'm not really recognizing faces. So I was like, well, I'll throw something in the water. Boys, I pick them up from school one day and I say, hey, guys, uh, have you invited anybody to church? And honestly, like, I, I didn't think they would. And, and my three-year-old goes, yeah, I've been inviting Layla, Kayla, Darla, Carla. I'm like, Miss Tracy, Miss Wendy. And he's like naming all these girls. And I'm like, Briar, we can't be calling all these girls up, man. Like, it was one of those moments, like, I was challenged and I was encouraged. And sitting there, I'm, I'm competitive in this moment. And I'm like, man, my... My three-year-old is inviting all these people to church to hear this life-changing message. Like, what's that saying? What am I doing? Some of you might be saying, like, well, that's a pastor's home. You guys probably eat and sleep and drink and all that at night. And I'm saying, no, that's a Holy Spirit-led home. Honestly, it's, it's nothing but God's Spirit that can move in a way like that. 
See, we a lot of times get focused on the moral standing, the guidelines of what the scriptures say. Because it's easy to tangibilize how we're living our life. Are we morally living our life properly, ethically? Are we doing what we need to do correctly? Because we can evaluate our personal lives. But I think a big area where Jesus is going to address us when our day is up is how well were we at finding others? I pray time and time again that, God, when I show up in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, you give me a Holy Spirit conversation led so that I can encourage someone about the goodness and greatness of who you are. And I, and I get it. Like, it's challenging. I mean, we're living in a world that is polarizing completely different from Christians. Culture says one thing. Jesus is like counterculture over and over again. And, and there's this passage in Luke 12, verses 11 through 12, that I think is very key, and it's uh, for everything, for all fronts in, in our conversations. It says this, just speaking, and when you are brought to trial in the synagogues before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Pastor Steph, he encouraged us today in our worship time. The same spirit that lives in Jesus is the same spirit that lives in us. When you're in those moments, when the Holy Spirit's prompting you, are you following, are you finding others with the life-changing message of the gospel? See, Jesus reveals the most valuable asset in this whole world is people. Luke 5.10 Continues, and his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. Who do you this next week need to encourage or invite to church? Who do you need to pray with? Who do you need to listen to? Who do you need to maybe, how do you need to step out of your comfort zone and put yourself in a place that is maybe a little polarizing for your own being. I want to encourage you, pray every day, God, give me a Holy Spirit conversation that can change someone's eternity. And then number three today is this, surrender anything so you can have everything. These men just experienced the greatest catch of their life. And when they landed on shore, they left it all. They left their boats. They left their fish. Now, in John's account, we see there's this 153 approximate fish, large fish. In this account, we can almost say it's four times that. There was nets. There was boats that these men left. Peter could have had a very great season in his working vocation, yet he leaves it all. They brought their boats to land, and they left everything. And what did they do? They followed him. Complete surrender to Jesus is a requirement to be a follower. So I use the pronoun anything versus everything because I believe a lot of us can say, I basically have given Jesus everything. But there might be that something that we haven't. There might be that something that we're holding on to that's maybe in our closet that's kind of packed away, that's maybe in the thoughts of anxiety, depression, lustfulness. Maybe it's something that we're doing. Maybe it's something involving taxes. Maybe it's something that we're saying, hey, I can get by a little bit over here. 
I basically have given Jesus everything, but it's the, every, it's the anything, the, the specific that we need to give to him. So what specific do you need to surrender? Are you in that moment where, hey God, I, I need you in my life to comb through, to evaluate me, to say, hey, give me this portion. Whenever I think about surrendering everything, I just can't help but be encouraged, reminded of this man by the name of Eric Liddell. He's a Scottish Olympic athlete who won the 1924 400-meter race. Maybe of you have seen some of the, the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, it's a classic about his life. What's interesting about Eric Liddell is he was slated to run the 100-meter race before the Olympics. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't even remember who ran, who ran or even won these last Olympics. If you can, props to you. But we're speaking about Eric Liddell over almost 100 years later. See, Eric Liddell, he pulled out of the 100-meter race during the 1924 Games because he felt against his convictions that he didn't want his commitments to church be hindered. So he said, I can't run. The 100-meter race from the trials to the actual race in the Olympics fell on a Sunday. So weeks prior, he says, I'm going to run the 400-meter race. Now, if you know anything about sprinting and running and track, a middle-length race and a fast, short race, completely different training methods. So Eric Liddell, he, he runs, a, a great athlete. He runs and he qualifies at the 400, ends up winning the gold medal of the 400. It was fascinating. It was interesting because he was willing to sacrifice his fame, his fortune, his celebrity, everything, his financial windfall for the unknown, to do what convicted him. Complete surrender. I love what he said. He says this, and if I know something to be true, am I prepared to follow it even though it is contrary to what I want? Will I follow it if it means being laughed at by a friend or foe, or if it means personal financial loss or some kind of hardship? Eric Liddell. What's beautiful about his story is it didn't just stop there. It didn't just stop there when he was running this race, becoming this Olympic athlete or anything along those lines. He goes on to be a a missionary to China. Uh, And there's this captivating, in one of his memoirs, there's this captivating moment where Eric Liddell is, the author paints this beautiful picture of World War II is about to commence and, and he's stranded and him and his wife are there in the moment. They're like, do, do I stay with our children, their daughters, I believe, with you in this camp? Or Eric is saying, do, do I stay or do I go with my family as I send them away to Canada, back home? And uh, Eric Liddell and his wife, they come to this, he's going to stay for the greater good of God's gospel message in this camp. Memoir says it's, it paints this picture of his daughters are on the boat and his wife and they're waving by and he's waving by. Little did he know that was the last time that he would see them. See, when it comes to following Jesus, with the look at our lives, are, are we willing to surrender everything? The most valuable relationships in our life, the finances in our life, the the worries, the, the hurts, the pain, the hang-ups, the regrets? 
Are we willing to surrender? Being a follower of Jesus means that we find others, that we let Jesus be the all of our life, that we're awestruck by his goodness, by his compassion. And we say, hey, Jesus, I know I got a lot to work on, but I'm gonna surrender everything for you. I'm gonna give it all out for you because I know at the end of the day, I'm only here for a moment, but I'm with you for eternity. So my question for you is this, how are you following Jesus today? How are you following Jesus? Ultimately, here's our hope for you, one, that you become a follower of Jesus. We can't talk about it enough that we believe that Jesus is here for each and every one of us, that when we have Jesus in our life, our, our life is drastically changed. And maybe you say, hey, I'm doing really well at following Jesus. Well, maybe you need to, number two, our hope for you is this, explore how well you are allowing him to lead in your life. Maybe there's an area you need to give over to him. Maybe there's a friend you need to invite. Maybe you need to work on the following with the moral and the obedience side of things. How are you letting Jesus lead in your life? So I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. We're gonna enter into this final song. And if you're making a decision to start following Jesus, or if you need prayer or wanna submit a praise report, I wanna encourage you to do so. But I wanna give you some next steps. We're practical here at Faith. And out there in the lobby, we have a communication card. Fill it out. Let us know, hey, I wanna start following Jesus. So you mark that box because we believe life is better together and we all need help on the faith journey. So it's an actionable step. It's saying, I'm gonna to go to that hub, I'm gonna sign up that card, and I'm gonna say, I'm following Jesus because he's gonna change my life. Amen. And that's what we pray for at this moment. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we give you this time right now. I pray for those individuals who are here in this place, specifically making a choice to follow you. Lord, I pray that you lift them up. I pray that they be led. I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, come into their lives, that they say, hey, we believe that you are raised from the dead, that you have uh, been to the cross for our sins. Lord, may they have that moment in their heart and in their minds where they just want more. Lord, I specifically pray for them right now. Lord, I also pray for those who are exploring the areas of their life that they need to evaluate when it comes to following you. I pray that you touch them. I pray that you lead them. And I pray that you continue to move in them. May your Holy Spirit convict them, comfort them, do whatever it needs to do so that they can be in the proper place you desire them to be. Lord, we give you this Sunday. We give you this moment. And in your great and holy name, we all say, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Sunday morning at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next week for Sunday morning. Faith Assembly Sunday Morning is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.